Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. On the program today, we're looking at the risks of developing type 2 diabetes. What is the condition? What are our risks? And what can we do as individuals to avoid becoming one of the 890,000 Australians who have developed this condition? In the studio with me today, I have Dr. Annette Carruthers. Annette is a clinical director of GP Access, a director of the Heart Foundation of New South Wales, as well as working part-time in general practice. And for eight years, she was a director of the Hunter Area Health Service. Annette, thank you for coming in and joining me, and welcome to the program. My pleasure, Iris. GP Access, I gather that the organisation was originally known as the Hunter Urban Division of General Practice. When did the change come about and why? We officially changed our name in in August of this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was based on, on, we have a a service called GP Access After Hours, and that's a service that's very well known in the community in the Hunter region, and and it, it came to pass that that was really our brand. So we're now GP Access with a variety of attached services, including GP Access After Hours and GP Access Clinical Systems, which is what we're talking about today. So what's the main aim of the organisation? It's, it's a division of general practice and it's about supporting GPs in the care of their patients and the community. How did you get involved? I was actually one of the founders of the organisation, so I've been there since we, we originally came to be in 1992. I was really passionate about the opportunities of GPs working together that they could achieve a lot more for their communities rather than working individually in their own surgeries. I, uh, I was on the board for many years, but when, when we actually received a grant to operate GP Access After Hours across our region, I decided I would go and work for the organisation because I was really passionate about it and I really wanted to make sure it was going to be a success, which it has been. With general practitioners, as you mentioned, they are often sort of isolated within their own surgeries rather than becoming part of a larger organisation. Well, that, that is changing very much. Over, mm. over the last 15 years, there's been a big turnaround uh, from a time when GPs didn't even know other doctors in their own mm. practising in their own region to a much more collegiate atmosphere these days. Very recently, the organisation has released a questionnaire in which you would like the public to become involved. What's that all about? It's about a big drive to try and identify people who are at risk of developing diabetes. We're becoming very alarmed about the increased incidence of diabetes in our region and across Australia. And therefore, we know that if we identify people who are at risk early then we can help them change their lifestyle to reduce their risk of of subsequently developing diabetes. We're putting a lot more effort into preventative care these days. This is a Commonwealth initiative. Mm. It's uh, it's right across Australia. Um, But divisions of general practice in in all the regions across Australia are being asked to uh, promote this initiative in their own communities. You mentioned off-air that there's a lot of people in the Hunter region. Is this higher than anywhere else? It's interesting. We do know some statistics that the Hunter Urban Division has the highest number of patients with type 1 diabetes in New South Wales and the second highest number of patients with type 2 diabetes in New South Wales. Part of it may be socioeconomic, that that we've got a slightly lower socioeconomic group and things like obesity, um, poor education, lack of activity are all things that can contribute to developing diabetes. When people go to visit their doctor their general practitioner, are they being told that that your questionnaire is available or do they have to ask for it? It's a very new initiative and we're working with practices at the moment to make it readily available to their patients. There's various ways they can do this. The, The questionnaire might be available in the waiting room. Alternatively, 
practice nurses might be approaching patients to fill it out or a receptionist might identify um, people who they perceive it more at risk or who are in the the target age group and uh, hand Mm. it to them and ask them to complete it. What's the target age group? In the Commonwealth Initiative, it's the 40 to 49 age group. Uh, but as, as GPs, we'd actually like to reach beyond that group because we know um, people who are overweight and inactive in many age groups are, are in fact, mm. at risk. Is there a, a risk of late onset, as in the older person? The risk does tend to increase uh, with, with age. So, I mean, we, we know that people tend to get bigger as life goes mm. on and they also mm. tend to get more inactive as life goes on and uh, that there are factors that would contribute to that. Are you getting the the response that you were hoping for through the surgeries? Look, it's really early days. We're just working very hard to to make it a success. We Mm. we believe it's a very important initiative, but uh, it's really too early to make that assessment yet. And if people don't go to to their general practitioner on a regular basis, and and a lot of people don't, um, but they're interested in doing this, um, can they get hold of a copy and fill it in? Well, they certainly can if they're adept at the internet. It's actually on Commonwealth website. Uh, certainly our, our division of general practice would, would happily uh, send a copy to anyone who, who was interested and, and people who are living outside uh, the Hunter area could also approach their local general practitioner or, or, the, uh, or the division of general practice. So it's not just in the Hunter region it's being conducted. You're hoping to involve the rest of the... Oh, this is very state. much a national initiative mm. uh, you know, created by the Department of Health and Health and Aging through divisions of general practice. Later on in the program, I'll get the, the website address, if you have it, and a telephone number for people to call if they need it. When did you get the, the initiative going? It came out of the Council of Australian Governments uh, this this year, mm. so it's it's only so in it's the last few new. months. Yes, yeah. And it, tell me about the the questionnaire itself. What sort of questions do you ask? It, it's actually quite a simple questionnaire. There there are ten ten questions, all of which are known to be factors in in, in increased risk. Uh, the age, as you mentioned, that people in higher age groups are, are more at risk. Um, males more at risk than females. Certain ethnic groups, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, are, are certainly more at risk. Um, Pacific Islander and, and people of Murray descent as well. Interestingly, even in Asia, that the people from from Asia and the Middle East have a higher risk of developing diabetes. Is this because they generally change their diet when they get to Australia? From living in Asia, they tend to have a particular type of of menu, whether it's Thai or Chinese or whatever. But when they come to Australia, they then become involved in some of our dietary things. Is this a contributing factor? It certainly is that their hereditary is very much based on a a very healthy diet, particularly Mm. in Asia, around fish and vegetables. And uh, unfortunately, they come to Australia and have the the high fats and Mm. excess calories in in our diets. And without doubt, that's a, a major cause. What else are you asking? Uh, whether there's a family history of diabetes, where, where it's already in the family, people are at, at increased risk, whether people do eat fruit and, and vegetables each day, the amount of physical activity, and, and a very key one is, is waist circumference, that people actually need to get out a, a tape measure and, and measure their their waist at about the level of the of the navel, and uh, the waist measurement is is over ninety centimeters for women and a hundred centimeters for men in people who are of Asian or Aboriginal descent, or for everyone else over one hundred and ten for men and over a hundred centimeters for women. Then they have a greatly increased risk. How do you know what their score is? You, they have so many points for that's, each question. That's right. The, when people fill out the questionnaire, they can actually calculate their own score. And if people score over 15, then they're identified at being of, of high risk of developing diabetes. And it's those people that we want 
to, to come and talk to their doctor about this score. The doctor will then actually do a test to, to check whether, in fact, diabetes is already present because mm-hmm. we know a lot of people have diabetes but aren't aware of it. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the people who, who are in the pre-diabetic phase will encourage them to go on to a, a lifestyle um, modification program or lifestyle management program. And that, that's really what's behind this initiative, that we engage these people and, and work with them over a more extended period of time mm. to assist them in making some changes in their lifestyle. You're listening to Wellbeing, and I'm talking today with Dr Annette Carruthers. Annette, can we talk about type 2 diabetes? How widespread is it in the community? Well, type 2 diabetes is the more common condition mm. of, of the two, and it's the one that we're seeing the, the dramatic increase in. The number of cases really are increasing? We believe that about 890,000 Australians are currently being diagnosed with diabetes. But we also know for every person that is diagnosed, it's estimated there is another who is not yet diagnosed. Um, so probably a total of about 1.7 million Australians have diabetes. That's a tremendous amount. It's quite extraordinary. And most general practitioners will tell you that every week or two, someone else in their practice is being diagnosed with diabetes. It's, a, mm. it's a, going to be a major health problem this century. And do you think it is linked with the, our lifestyle and obesity and, and what we're eating? Without doubt. Uh, the combination of, of you know, increased obesity... Diets that, that, are, that have far too many calories and far too much saturated fat are, are, are becoming a real problem at the fast food nation. Unfortunately, a lot of those foods do tend to be very high in fat. And that's combined with reduced physical activity. We, we, a lot of us have desk jobs now and that we're not so active and we have all sorts of appliances to, that actually mean that we do, do less physical work. And mm. uh, that's, that's a real factor mm. in all of this. I don't know whether it's a, a true perception, but in years gone past, diabetes was related, thought to be related to the amount of sugar we ate. Is this a fact? Sugar is important because that comes back to calories. Mm. Uh, but we're becoming more and more aware that saturated fat is, is probably at That's least as significant uh, because uh, fat unfortunately results in, in much more calories. Mm. Tell me about the condition itself. Exactly what is diabetes? Sure. Well, diabetes is a chronic disease. For our bodies to work properly, we need to convert uh, glucose or sugar um, from our food into energy. And there's a hormone called insulin, which is essential for the conversion of of glucose into energy. For people with diabetes, the insulin is no longer produced or is not produced in the sufficient quantities that our body needs. And that means that the blood sugar level remains high. And unfortunately, the high sugar level results in damage to the blood vessels throughout the body. So a similar sort of effect from um, high cholesterol where the veins and arteries get clogged up? To a large extent, that yes, there's a lot of uh, relationships between the two. And certainly when you have a combination of high cholesterol and diabetes, the, the, risks, of, uh, are much, much, the mm. risk of developing one of the complications are much, much worse. Before we go into the complications, what's the difference between type 1 and type 2? Type 2. Well, the exact course of, of type 1 is not known, but, but we do know that it, there's a strong family link and, and that it cannot be prevented. And we also know that it doesn't have as much to do with, with lifestyle, that often 
in type 1 diabetes, the pancreas eventually virtually stops making insulin. Uh, and it's usually due to the formation of antibodies that, that destroy the islet cells in the pancreas that make the insulin. Whereas in type 2 diabetes, the amount of insulin produced is, is reduced relatively to the body needs. So there'll be still some, mm. some insulin uh, helping to lower those sugar levels. So if somebody has type 2, um, how would you treat those? With medication to help boost their insulin? Well, type, type 2 in, in the first instance, we talk about diet and lifestyle. Initially, most people diagnosed with type 2 don't need any medication. They just need to change their lifestyle. Over time, as the insulin levels fall, they may need medication. And uh, a small percentage of people ultimately go on to requiring insulin. And these days it's fair to say that uh, we're being encouraged to introduce insulin earlier because we know that keeping the sugar levels in the normal range is, is very, very important. Can that be done in tablet form or is it always injection? Insulin is an injection. There are tablets that help lower the sugar level that we would introduce before considering mm. insulin. You say that type 1 is usually inherited. Can it also just happen? Oh, yes, look, definitely that in type 1 diabetes can occur in, in, in families out of the blue. Mm. Uh, and we are seeing more of it. There, there's considerable interest in, in why we are also seeing more type 1 diabetes these days. So um, you don't necessarily have a, a reason that it can just appear out of the blue. It's nothing. Yep, yep. there are even some thoughts about whether there could be some some viral viral cause. Mm. A lot of, lot of research and interest in this area at the moment. But people with one di- with type one diabetes will always need insulin, and mm. there can be up to four injections a day. Uh, and and these days we're also seeing now the use of insulin pumps, which tend to deliver insulin when when it's required. And is that sort of worn against the body or in the sure. body or something? Mm. If a person has type two diabetes and doesn't know it, what are the the symptoms that they would possibly show to give them a hint? Mm. Well. We should firstly say that some people don't have any symptoms at all, that the first knowledge is on a blood test. But having said that, the classic symptoms are excessive thirst and and passing lots of water. Um, If the sugar levels are even higher, you'll hear complaints of tiredness or or blurred vision. And sometimes just a wound that is very slow to heal can be a signal Mm. that the, the sugar levels are high and this person has developed diabetes. And I suppose with the summer coming on, we tend to drink more we drink more water um, and that's the inevitable happens so this can be masked just in everyday living oh very much so very much so Mm. so and when you say that type 2 can be controlled by changing lifestyle not becoming a a couch potato is obviously one of them get up and do some exercise and i know that that as a gp you're going to hear i don't have time and change in diet how do you encourage someone to get up off the couch? One, this is one of the reasons that we're very keen for this lifestyle management program because it's, it's an eight-hour program that spends a lot more time in centre, giving people reasons and, and also sometimes the skills and the ideas that, that help them in, in what form of exercise works for them. Everybody has time for exercise. It, it can be as simple as parking your car a little bit further from work, getting up off the chair at work and, and having a few extra trips to the to the photocopier rather than saving it all up, just finding excuses for exercise. So it doesn't necessarily mean getting out of bed at crack of dawn if the weather's hot and pounding the pavements for half an hour? Definitely not. 
It's, we have to find what what's going to work for for people as individuals. Mm. And uh, uh, GPs, practice nurses have a lot of skills these days to to really sit down with people and and explore what what is the best sort of exercise for them. So it becomes a, um, very much a one to one initiative to for people to get up and and go. What suits one may not suit That's another. That's right. Some people love group activities. We're seeing a mm. lot more Hutt Foundation walking groups happening these days, mm. and that's uh, that's terrific. But a lot of people enjoy the social contact, people who've been a bit isolated with that. Some people are actually depressed, and that's one of the reasons they're not getting up and out. And, and actually managing their depression can be can be a really important factor in, in helping them get out of the house again and, and begin socialising. So it's not just type 2 diabetes. It can be a whole lifestyle change that that can happen can be that's right it it can actually be a very very positive experience for for some people who've really got stuck in a rut to give them the incentives to to change their lives and and get moving again you're listening to well-being i'm iris nichols and today i'm speaking with dr annette carruthers from gp access dr carruthers in general are the people who have type one or two looking after themselves as well as they might I think there's a lot of room for improvement. We've we've become fairly concerned that a lot of patients aren't having the regular checks that they should have when they have diabetes. There's something called an an annual cycle of care that we would recommend for any person who has been diagnosed with diabetes. It's basically a 10-point check that is provided at, at GP surgeries. These days, a lot of the practice nurses will will actually uh, do most of the of the checks and and make sure that everybody is up to date with, with what's required. And that's as simple as talking about blood pressure, um, again, diet, exercise, mm. smoking, uh, how people are monitoring their sugar levels. Also, whether they've had had a foot check recently, then the nurses can conduct a foot check or refer to a podiatrist. Whether people are having the eye checks. Uh, that are required, recommended every two years. And there's a, there's a figure called a, uh, we, we insured HBA17, and, and that's a blood mm. test that we would recommend that people have uh, preferably at least twice a year, and that can actually tell them how their blood sugar levels are, have been going in, in recent mm. weeks. You talk about the risks. Are the risks as high with type 2 as they are with type 1? The thing about type 1 diabetes is, is people have often had it for much longer. Mm. And the longer that you have diabetes, the, the greater the risk of, uh, of complications. But it also depends on how well those sugar levels is con- are controlled. So someone who's had type, two, type 1 diabetes for 30 years but has had excellent control may have less complications than someone who's recently developed type 2 but is just not paying attention and looking after themselves. What sort of risks go with, with diabetes in general? The diabetes can affect almost any blood vessel in the body. So people with diabetes have increased risk of, of heart disease and stroke. Mm. Uh, they also have increased risk of uh, circulation problems uh, and, and loss of circulation in, in the limbs. The small blood vessels in the eyes can be damaging, causing reduced vision or, and even at times blindness. And, and kidney failure is the other big problem, that uh, the, the kidneys can be damaged. And, and unfortunately, some people with diabetes progress on to kidney failure and dialysis. I'd like to emphasize that, that well-controlled diabetes can avoid all these mm. problems. But, but for some people, it can mean a loss of five to ten years of life expectancy if, uh, if they don't uh, really pay attention to this condition. That's a long time. It is. We sometimes hear, but probably not as much as we used to, about people losing feet and legs as a result of poor circulation 
brought on by diabetes. How common is that these days? I think it's, on the one hand, because control is generally better, as an individual there is less risk of, 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 of developing you know, the, the gangrene, which is an awful, awful condition. Uh, but on the other hand, because there's more diabetes around, the numbers may in fact be increasing. Mm. One of the big issues there is, is the combination of cigarette smoking and, and diabetes. That They are the people who are really at risk of, of what we call peripheral, peripheral vascular disease. And uh, um, I think less people are smoking now, which is, is a great thing, mm. but it's really important that patients with diabetes don't smoke. What's the overall risk of people with who know they've got diabetes and we'll talk about type 2 for this program moment, who don't go and have their checks and they say, oh, no, I'm all right, I, I do walk and, and I'm, you know, I'm not putting on much weight. Will that eventually catch up with them? It depends how good their diet is. I mean, diabetes really is about self-management. And if someone is self-managing well, mm. they will do well. But if unfortunately, some people will put their head in their sand and, and, and just have a... Um, deny that they actually have the condition and, and don't don't pay attention to it, don't measure their sugars. And, and for those people, sometimes it can be catastrophic. Uh, you know, a year or two of, of very high sugars can do enormous damage to eyesight and kidneys. And mm. uh, it's it's really unfortunate when, when that happens and, and people come back and uh, unfortunately some of that damage is irreversible. Now, it's just gone through my head about girls who have a problem with diabetes when they're pregnant. Once they've had the baby, that usually settles itself down. What sort of risk are they at in later life of developing? Yeah, yeah the diabetes develops during the, the stress of the pregnancy, mm. uh, but those people are at greater risk of developing diabetes later in life. So we strongly recommend that that group do have an annual blood sugar test mm. uh, and, and also look after themselves to, to prevent uh, diabetes developing. It's a little bit of a signal or a warning that, that yeah, this is important and uh, changing lifestyle now can prevent problems down the track. We mentioned earlier that although this questionnaire is being distributed within the Hunter and the Hunter Valley. If people are outside of that area, how can they find out about it? In the first instance, I'd encourage them to speak to their general practitioner. Yeah. Uh, if, if the general practitioner isn't, isn't aware of this, then the next step would be to talk to the local division of general practice because there are divisions now in all parts of the, of the country. They're in all states? Yes. So they start off with, with the doctor? Go and yes. talk to you. Doctor. Yes, that's right. Once you've got some of the answers coming back from the questionnaire, do those results come back to you? We ask the, the, the patients to complete the questionnaire and then, then hand it to their doctor and, and they can discuss the results and, and what that means for that individual. As I said, the, the doctor will then uh, exclude the presence of diabetes already mm-hmm. and uh, they can discuss whether they are eligible for, for one of the subsidised lifestyle management programs that are now becoming available around the country. Ah, that word subsidised. Does that mean that um, people who are on restricted income can get um, some help with that? Well, the, the program is currently targeting people in the 40 to 49 age group. Mm. So if, if they score more than 15 on this questionnaire, then they are eligible for a referral to, to the subsidised lifestyle management program. Now, that program, it's an eight-hour program. Mm. Uh, the fee for, for um, non-healthcare card holders is $50, which is extremely reasonable. Mm. Um, the, the Department of Health and Ageing is, um, is, is subsidising it. 
And uh, for people who are on a concession card, then uh, it's, it's actually free. Oh, so money is, need not be an issue? For this program, definitely. Mm. Okay. So when all, the, when all the bits and pieces and the questionnaire is filled in by the doctor, he sends them off to wherever, do you get a report back from them about the overall number of people who've responded to the questionnaire? Well, it's, it's up to the, the individual GPs mm. to, to collect the, yes. the questionnaires. Divisions of general practice will, will keep statistics on people who are referred to them for the, for the programs. Mm. And they'll actually track the, the improvement. Or we hope there'll be yeah. an improvement over time. So, so changes in weight, um, or be your pardon, changes in, in waist circumference, uh, will be formally measured as, as part of the, the lifestyle management program and, and reported to yeah. our, to our funders. And what will you do with the result? We use it for feedback on, on how our programs mm. are going, whether, whether we are making a difference, uh, how we can, always thinking how we can do things better. It's a trade in the hunter. We're always doing that. <laughs> and then when you've got all your data in, and how long do you think this will go? Will it be an ongoing thing forever? I don't think anything goes forever. Mm. It's like many of these programs, they're, they're trialled. If they're successful, they, we would like to think they will continue. But certainly for the, for the next few years, uh, we're expecting this to continue. I hope you get the results you, you want. And that, of course, is benefit for everybody. Now, do we have um, a phone number or an internet detail that, where people can contact either you or have a look at the questionnaire before following it up? Look, sure. The, the GP access phone number is 0249 252559, and our website is www.gpaccess.com.au. Okay, and we'll have that um, address available um, here at the station for local listeners if they want to uh, to pick it up again. Dr Carruthers, thank you for coming in and telling us about this. Wish you every success in the outcome of this because it's for the benefit of everyone. That's uh, right. Thank thank you very much, Iris. This is about uh, really trying to make a difference in our community for something that is an emerging problem. Thank you very much. My guest today has been Dr Annette Carruthers. She's a director of the GP Access and she's a director of the Heart Foundation of New South Wales. On behalf of everyone here in the team, I would like to wish you, dear listener, the very best for happy and peaceful Christmas and a healthy new year. And we'll see you again in February next year. Until then, bye-bye.